Welcome back, Hemingway Brainiacs, to the Hemingway List podcast, talking about War and Peace, Book 2, Chapter 6. What do you think of the attitudes towards war portrayed thus far? How do you think they differ to, from today's attitudes of war or attitudes in more recent wars? Tolstoy describes war scenes to be... Excuse me. Tolstoy des- describes brutal war scenes to be taking place among very picturesque landscapes. Why do you think he does this? And in brackets it says here, I highly recommend today's article if you haven't read it yet. Um, referring to the Brian E. Denton Medium article. Brilliant insights as always from Brian E. Denton. Do go and check that out if you haven't. Um, yeah, but that's a really cool uh, observation there. The picturesque landscapes juxtaposed with the brutal war scenes. And it's something um, that Tolstoy does a lot in this novel, and it's always really effective. Blink, uh, by the way, those um, discussion prompts were courtesy of Seven of Nine. Big Blue Banana said this, I like how we are moving closer to the upfront experience of war. First we heard about it through our characters in Russia, then we heard about it through Max Defeat, now we're seeing the enemy groups at a distance. Makes me feel things are going to continue to progress until our characters are in the thick of it. Ripster66 says, The beauty of the landscape is in sharp contrast to the antics of the men. To me it highlights the folly of war, men seeking to destroy each other and the beauty around them almost gleefully. For me it also heightens tension, the scenic area is about to become a living hell of human brutality but right now before battle it is a beautiful landscape the men's attitudes are a bit baffling to me are they naive are they just posing as nonchalant for each other they seem eager and excited and not at all nervous or afraid it seems they have are having a lovely sunday picnic talking about a visit to a nunnery as if it's a delightful social call when what they're really describing is violence and rape was rather disturbing do you think it was rape or just he wants to go there and, and seduce them, flirt with them? I don't know. Maybe it was rape. I always thought that saw that bit as just him wanting to go in and, and um, you know, flirt. Try to seduce one of the Italian nuns. But hey, maybe you're right. Maybe I read it wrong. Um, but that's another interesting thing you say there. I remember being really struck by that on my first read about their attitudes in these chapters when they're sort of starting to see a bit of war, their eagerness, they're so eager. They're so, um, I don't know, like, I don't, happy is not the word, but they're like excited, I suppose. But they're not scared. They seem to be in good moods. I don't know what the word I'm trying to find is here, but they they seem, uh, they're, in, they're, they're not um, miserable about it. Rick Evans said this, It's still very much a boy's own adventure, even here on the front line. It feels like the reality of war is yet to hit these people. And Real Skydiver said, Who is Nezvitsky? Again. Also, the nun comments felt really uncomfortable, especially knowing what Soviets did to women during World War II. Um, Nezvitsky, says Warren Kovofififi, he's part of Andre's clique. The one who laughed at the imitations Zerkov was doing of the regimental commander. And he was also the one Andre spoke to after Zerkov sarcastically congratulated the Austrians after Max's defeat. Um, all right, there we go. Let's read the next one. Keep moving. Chapter 7 goes like this. 
by the way, first before I do that, if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash the Hemingway list is the best way to do that. You can support the podcast for as much as you want. One dollar per month, five dollars per month, a billion dollars per month, whatever you feel and um it's a really good way to support the creation of this whole project. Patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. Very much appreciated. Chapter 7 goes like this. Two enemy shots had already gone flying over the bridge, which was chockers with soldiers. Halfway across the bridge was Prince Nesvitsky, who jumped off his horse and whose big body was jammed up against the railings. He looked back, laughing to the Cossack, who was a few steps behind him, holding two horses by their bridles. Every time Prince Nesvitsky tried to push on, soldiers and carts pushed him back, smushing him into the railings, and all he could do was smile. Oh, what a great person you are, mate, said the Cossack to a convoy soldier with a wagon, who was pushing into the jam-packed infantrymen, who were crowded around his wheels and his horses. Real great person, cheers for that. You can't just wait two seconds. Can't you see the general is trying to pass? But the convoyman took no notice of the word general, and shouted at the soldiers who were in his way. Hey there, gents, shove over to the left, will you? Hold on a sec. But the soldiers kept moving over the bridge, squished shoulder to shoulder, their bayonets interlocking. Prince Nesvitsky looked over the rails, into the noisy little rapids of the ends. Little waves which rippled and eddied around the piles of the bridge and chased each other along. Looking up, he saw equally uniform waves of soldiers around him on the bridge. Shoulder straps, covered shakos, knapsacks, bayonets, long muskets, and under the shakos, faces that looked completely knackered, with wide cheekbones and sunken cheeks, and the tired feet of the soldiers dragged through the sticky mud that covered the planks of the bridge, sometimes through the monotonous waves of men, like a little gunky bit of river foam on the waves of the ends, an officer, in a cloak, and with a different kind of face to the men around him, hip and shouldered his way along, and sometimes like a bit of a tan bark whirling in the river, a hussar on foot, or an orderly, or townsman, or something like that, was carried through the waves of the infantry, and sometimes it was like a log fanging down the river when an officer's or company's baggage wagon, piled high, leather-covered and hemmed on all sides, shoved its way over the bridge. "'It's as if a dam has burst,' said the Cossack hopelessly. "'There Are there many more of you to come?' Uh, "'Just shy of a bajillion,' replied a cheeky soldier in a torn coat with a wink, and he moved forward and was succeeded by an old man. "'If he,' he meaning the enemy, Starts taking shots at the bridge now, said the old soldier dismally to a comrade. You'll forget to scratch yourself. The old man passed forward and after him came another sitting on a cart. Where the hell did you shove those leg bands, said an orderly running behind the cart and fumbling in the back of it. And also he passed on with the wagon to be followed by some very cheerful soldiers who had evidently been on the piss. And then, mate, he gives him one in the teeth, bam, with the butt of his gun. A soldier with a great coat tucked in way too far was saying with a wide, flamboyant gesture of his arms. Yeah, that ham was freaking delicious, answered another with a loud laugh. And they too passed on, leaving Nesvitsky to ponder who had been smacked in the teeth and what the ham had to do with it. Ah, oh, look at these pussies scurrying. He just sends one ball this way and they all think they're being killed, a sergeant was saying angrily and reproachfully. As it went flying past me, Daddy, the ball I mean, 
said a younger soldier with a gigantic mouth on the verge of laughing. I reckon I nearly died of fright. No shit, I swear it. I just about shat my dax, said he, as if bragging of having been frightened. That one also passed. Then there was a cart that was different to all the others so far. It was a German cart with a pair of horses led by a German, and it seemed to be loaded with a whole houseful of stuff. Behind the cart, attached to it, was a very nice cow, brindled and with a big fat udder. A woman breastfeeding her baby, an old woman and a healthy German girl with rosy cheeks were sitting on some feather bed. On some feather bed? On a feather bed. On some... It's weird... I don't know why I wrote some for the bed. I'm going to go back and check that at some point. Pardon me while I make a little note to myself. Evidently, these fugitives had some kind of special permission to pass. The eyes of all the soldiers turned towards the women, and while the vehicle slowly crawled past, the soldiers couldn't help but comment on the two younger ones. All their faces bore the same pervy smile, as if these goofballs had never seen a woman before. Check it out, we've got a couple of bratwursts on the move. How much for the missus? said another douchebag soldier, addressing the German, who, equally pissed off and terrified, moved quickly along with downcast eyes. Jeez, she's a bit of all right, bloody hell. Oi, Fedotov, you should be quartered on them. Stranger things have happened, mate. Where are you going? asked an infantry officer who was eating an apple, also half smiling as he looked at the pretty lady. The German man closed his eyes, showing that he couldn't understand what he asked. Here, take one if you want, said the officer, offering the girl an apple. She smiled and took it. Nezvitsky, like the other men on the bridge, did not take his eyes off the women until they passed. Once they'd gone by, the same stream of soldiers followed, talking the same shit as before, and at last all stopped. As usual, the horses of a convoy wagon got all lazy once they crossed the bridge, and the thronging crowd behind it had to wait. "'What's the deal? Why have you stopped? This is bloody chaos,' said the soldiers. "'Where are you shoving to? Go to hell, mate. Can't you wait? It'd be worse if he fires the bridge. See, even officers are jammed in here too,' different voices were saying in the crowd as the men looked at one another and all pressed towards the exit of the bridge. Looking down into the waters of the ends under the bridge, Nesvitsky now heard a sound that was new to him, something moving swiftly closer something big that splashed into the water. Watch where it carries to, a soldier nearby said sternly, looking round at the sound. There's a little encouragement to get a wriggle on, said another uneasily. The crowd moved on, Nesvitsky realised that it was a bloody cannonball. Oi, Cossack, my horse, said he. Now, oi, you there, out the bloody way, move it. With great difficulty he shoved his way to his horse, and shouting continually he moved on. The soldiers squeezed themselves together to make way for him, but again thronged in on him so that they jammed his leg, and those nearest him were not to blame, for they were themselves being shoved even harder from behind. Nesvitsky! Nesvitsky, you dickhead! came a rough voice from behind him. Nesvitsky looked around and saw some fifteen paces back, but separated impossibly by a bajillion soldiers, Vaska Denisov red and shaggy with his cap on the back of his black head and a cloak hanging jauntily over his shoulder. Tell these bastard, these pricks, to let me through. 
shouted Denisov, who was evidently off his chops with rage, with coal-black eyes, with their bloodshot whites glittering and rolling as he waved his sheathed sabre, sheathed sabre in his little hand, which was as red as his face. Hey, Vaska, joyfully replied Nezutsky, what's up with you? The squadron can't get through, shouted Vaska Denisov, and he bared his white teeth fiercely and spurred his black thoroughbred Arab, which twitched its ears and as the bayonets touched it and snorted little white bits of spittle flying from its bit and trampled the planks of the bridge with its hoose, apparently ready to jump over the edge had his rider let him. What is this? They're, they're like sheep, just like sheep. Out the bloody way, let us through. Stop, oi, dickhead, with the cart. Stop or I'll hack you with my sabre, he shouted, actually drawing his sabre from the scabbard and waving it about. The soldiers that themselves, the soldiers shat themselves and let him through, and Denisov joined Nesvitsky. How are you not drunk today, said Nesvitsky, with the other hand ridden up, with the other hand when the other had ridden up to him. I haven't had time to dwink, said Vaska Denisov. They've been dwagging the wedgement back and forth all day. If they want us to fight, let's fight, but fuck knows what this nonsense is. Jeez, what a dandy you are today, said Nesvitsky, looking at Denisov's brand spanker of a cloak and saddlecloth. Very schmick. Denisov smiled, took a hanky out of his sabre tesh, and put it to Nesvitsky's nose to show him how it smelt of perfume. Of course, I'm going into action. I had a shave, washed my teeth, and chucked on some perfume. The imposing figure of Nezvitsky, followed by his Cossack, and the eagerness of Denisov, flourishing his sword and shouting like a maniac, had such an effect that they managed to squeeze their way through and out the farther side of the bridge, stopping the infantry. Next to the bridge, Nezvitsky found the colonel to whom he had to deliver the order, and once that had been done, he rode back. Having cleared the way, Denisov stopped at the end of the bridge, carelessly holding in his stallion that was neighing and pawing the ground, eager to rejoin the other horses. He watched his squadron draw nearer. The hoof clangs of several galloping horses resounded on the planks of the bridge, and the squadron with officers in front and men four abreast spread across the bridge and started filing out onto his side of it. As often happens when troops of different arms encounter one another, the crowded infantry, who had been stopped near the bridge in the trampled mud, gazed with a certain disdain, estrangement and ridicule at the shiny, clean hussars as they moved past them in regular order. Woohoo, don't you lads look nice, fit for a fair, said one sarcastically. Bloody useless bunch of show off bunch of show ponies led about for show, remarked another. Don't stir up any dust, you lot, jested a hussar, whose prancing horse had splashed mud over some foot soldiers. Like to see you on a two-day march with a knapsack. Those fancy pants of yours would soon get a bit rubbed, said an infantryman, wiping the mud off his face with his sleeve. Look at you perched up there. You're more like a bird than a man. Come on now, Zikin. They ought to get you a horse. You'd look good on one, said a corporal, having a dig at a thin little soldier who was struggling under the weight of his knapsack. Shove a stick up your ass, that'll suit you for a horse, the hussar shouted back. Alright, there we go. Another chapter for you. The hussars are coming through and they're looking good up on horseback and the soldiers aren't too fond of that. Even though they're all on the same team. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Anyway, that's that one. 
Have your say over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.